the two disciples were on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus is just outside the district of Jerusalem. It's about seven miles outside the old city, so it's not very far. It's just an afternoon's walk. They could have left after breakfast, sometimes, sometime actually close to lunchtime, and could have walked and could have been in Emmaus before nightfall. It was not a difficult or lengthy journey. They made the trip together, these two disciples, not being worried about bandits or about being attacked or robbed because it was within a well-populated area. These seven miles, however, were not straight as the crow flies. You would go along a ridge and then you'd wind your way down a little valley and then up the other side of the valley and then down another valley and then up the other side of the valley. Uh, living in Palestine that time, you almost had to be half a billy goat to get around anywhere because it was up and down and up and down and up and down. As they made this journey, they come across a man who joins them, who asks them, why are they so disturbed? Why are they so sad? And he began, they began to tell him the story about what had happened that week, about Jesus, about his life and his ministry, and how he had been arrested, convicted, and murdered. How they had hoped that he would be the Messiah, and that there had been a proclamation that he had been raised from the dead. The women who had gone to the tomb had found it empty. These two disciples told Jesus the story. As disciples would tell Jesus the story about Jesus to people for 2,000 years since then, they began proclaiming the message. Only this time they're telling the story to Jesus himself. Now there is a question as to the identity of these two disciples. The scripture says that one of them is Cleopas, and the other one it's an other disciple, a different disciple, a disciple who goes unnamed. And for the most part, Christians over the last 1,980 years have believed that it was just some other guy. After all, the church tends to be rather prejudiced on this subject, rather biased on this subject, thinking that the disciples were all men. We forget about the women who were part of Jesus' life and Jesus' circle of disciples. They may not have been a part of the twelve, but Mary Magdalene and several other Marys and other women, particularly Martha and Mary, they were all part of Jesus's retinue, Jesus's groupies, if you will. Usually, however, this story is told as if the other disciple is a man. In fact, most iconography, most artwork of this story show another man, as you can see there. There's Jesus, and there are two guys asking Jesus if he wants to stop with them to have dinner and to spend the night. But it depicts them as two guys, Cleopas, and in this case, it depicts the other one as being Luke. And we know for a fact that it couldn't have been Luke. Luke was a Syrian-born, Greek-speaking Gentile. He would not have been in the region at that time. The Scripture doesn't say that it was Luke, and it doesn't say it was a guy. It says it was another disciple. At dinner, it depicts them, usually as two guys, as you can see there, eating with Jesus. But there's no reason to assume that it was a guy. None. In fact, there's reason to suspect that it wasn't a guy. Because firstly, it says another disciple. Now, 
in some cases, that, that can be a literary device, meaning you place yourself in the story in the other disciple. It's like a pair of empty sandals. The other disciple could be you. And as it's sometimes told, it's Cleopas and you on the road with Jesus. But historically speaking, who could it have been? Well, we know, as I said earlier, we know about several women from Jesus' life. There's Mary Magdala, who was the first person, according to all four Gospels, to discover the empty tomb. We know about Mary and Martha, who had been part of the family at Bethany that Jesus was really close to. Their brother Lazarus, Jesus had raised from the dead. Martha, who worked in the kitchen, and Mary, who sat at his feet and learned. And we hear about Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Uh, what? Mary, the wife of Cleopas, is also one of Jesus' inner circle of disciples. And here we have a story about Cleopas on his way to Emmaus with another disciple. Hence, some scholars, as well as some religious artists, have begun depicting the other disciple as Mrs. Cleopas, as Mary, the wife of Cleopas. In fact, one of my favorite icons of the Emmaus story comes from a beautiful sister of the Order of St. Benedict who lives in Jerusalem. Her name is Sister Marie Paul, and she has done this icon. If you come to the parsonage, you'll see it hanging on the wall or sitting on my altar. It depicts Jesus walking on the road with Cleopas on one side and Mary, the wife of Cleopas, on the other. And then it depicts Jesus on one side of the table and Cleopas and Mary, the wife of Cleopas, on the other side in Emmaus as Jesus breaks the bread. Here they are walking, and here they are at the table. Now, I think this makes more sense, far more sense than some other guy, unnamed disciple. Women were property. Women didn't have place in that society. So it makes sense that if Cleopas is one of the disciples on the road, the other one who, if they go unnamed, could very well be a woman. And who better than Cleopas's wife? And particularly if they're heading home to Emmaus after the events in Jerusalem, after having been there for Passover, after having been there to experience the arrest and the trial and the death of Jesus and the mysteries of His resurrection, and they were questioning and wondering about it, and they're sad that the events that they had experienced were not those events they were expecting. After all, messiahs don't die. We forget that, don't we? I mean, we're so steeped in the message of Jesus and the message of Holy Week and the message of the atoning death of Jesus on the cross for our sins that we forget that in the Jewish theology of the first century, messiahs don't die. They're victorious. Messiahs don't get killed by the powers of the day. They defeat the powers of the day. They are king and they are priest and their military victor. They were expecting that the Messiah would overthrow the Roman occupation, reestablish the kingdom of David, and establish right worship in the temple. 
not be destroyed by the Romans at the instigation of the Jewish leadership of that very temple. So, of course, these disciples were perplexed and wondering and trying to figure out what the meaning of these days had been. This one that they had followed for so long, that they had believed He would be the Messiah, the chosen one of God, who would deliver Israel. And then He dies. A gruesome, brutal death. How are they to understand it? And Jesus, understanding their perplexity, begins to open the Scriptures to them. This passage today says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He, Jesus, interpreted to them the things about Himself in all the Scriptures. We forget, being Christians, we forget that the Scriptures for the first century church, the Scriptures for the New Testament church, were the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. The Torah, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the prophets, books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Hosea, Malachi, Amos, Micah, the, the, the prophets, which foretold many things, including the coming of the Messiah. Jesus interpreting to them the Word of God means He takes the Hebrew Bible and He opens it to them so they can understand and see within it how the Messiah wasn't just to be victorious. He will be victorious, and He is victorious, but in ways unexpected. And indeed, an understanding of the suffering servant from Isaiah. See, the Jews believed that the suffering servant was supposed to be all of Israel, all of Judea, all of the people of God. They are the suffering servant. And Jesus here clearly, in order to do what He did, clearly opens the Scripture and says, I, or Jesus, this Yeshua Nanzianzis, Jesus of Nazareth, is the suffering servant, is the sacrifice, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and that He had to die and be raised from the dead on the third day. He opens the Hebrew Bible to them so they could comprehend that what had happened was not a mistake, it wasn't an accident, it wasn't a failure, it was true victory, victory over death and victory over sin, and that they were in the very midst of it right then and there. They then invite Jesus in to have dinner, to eat. And sitting at the table, Jesus does what He has done hundreds of times with His disciples in His life and ministry. Sitting at a table with His disciples, He took bread and taking on the role of the host. After all, this is, this is Cleopas and Mary's house. Taking on the role of a host, He takes the bread and He blesses it and He breaks it. And as he blesses and breaks the bread, Scripture says their eyes were opened 
and they saw Jesus. For the very first time, they realized that this stranger who had been with them on the road, who had been opening the Scriptures to them, who had been causing their heart to burn in amazement, this stranger who had then taken the role of the host and blessed and broken the bread in their presence, this man was indeed their risen Lord. This man was indeed Jesus Himself. And that what they had heard from the women at the tomb was true. That the tomb was empty because Jesus had been raised. And what Mary Magdalene was proclaiming, that she had heard Him speak her name and she had recognized Him as the Lord, was true. Wasn't our heart burning, they asked each other, as He was opening the Scriptures to us? Weren't we coming to faith? as He explained the mysteries to us from the Scriptures, as we had come to faith many times, as He would explain the Scriptures to us in His life and ministry, so also our heart was burning as He explained it and opened it to us today. But we didn't see it at the moment. Only when He broke the bread did they see it. And when He broke the bread, and when their eyes were opened and they recognized Him as their Lord and Savior, when they recognized Him as Jesus of Nazareth, He vanished from their sight. He disappeared suddenly. Scotty beamed me up. He was gone. And they were excited, and after exchanging a few words, they ran back to Jerusalem. They had walked slowly to Emmaus that day, talking with Jesus along those seven miles or so, but now they're running to get back to the disciples. We have seen him. He's alive. And they said, we know. Simon has seen him. He is alive. And they share the story of how he opened the Scriptures to them and was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. He had been feeding them all day long with the Word of God. He had been feeding them with the revelation of God. He had been feeding them with the Scriptures. He had been feeding them with the Word of the Prophets. He had been feeding them with the Torah. He had been feeding them with the Scriptures, with the Word of God. And now, the very Word of God, Jesus Christ Himself, was feeding them with Himself. When He took that bread and He broke it, and they recognized that it was Him. Their lives were changed. They went from perplexity to faith. They went from curiosity to wonderment. They went from confusion to acceptance. It is He, the Master. He is with us. He is alive. Just as Thomas went from doubt to faith, so also Cleopas and the other disciple went from confusion and wonder and sadness to rejoicing and acceptance and faith. Faith that motivated them to run back to Jerusalem and share the good news with the other disciples that Jesus was alive. 
they had been fed with the Word. And Jesus fed them with Himself as He broke the bread. If there's any message that I've proclaimed here over these last three years, it's that Jesus is really present to us. That Jesus is really here. That Jesus is present in word and in sacrament. That Jesus is present in hymn, in song, in prayer, in service, in fellowship together. That Jesus is really present in our midst and transforming us little by little, day by day, bit by bit. If only we will look with eyes of faith, we will see Him. And the person seated next to you in the rows out here in front of me, and the person seated across the aisle from you, and the person that you had Sunday school class with this morning, and the person that you had an argument with at the council meeting on Tuesday night, Yes, indeed, in every person you meet here today, Jesus is really present. Jesus is really present in the strangers that you will meet when you go out those doors. Those who proclaim Christ Jesus, you will look and you will see if you have eyes of faith, Jesus. The question for us is, when they look at us with eyes of faith, Will they see Jesus in us? Do we truly have Christ in our lives? Do we really have Jesus present in our very living? Can you see and know Him? Has He had an impact on your life? Has He changed you? Remember when I said on Resurrection Sunday, I said you could look and know the truth of the resurrection by how the disciples had been transformed? how they'd been changed from doubt to faith and fear to faith and changed from a frightened uh, Peter, from a frightened person who denied his Lord and ran away to one who would stand up to the authorities and not shut up when ordered to and in fact would eventually go to die upside down on a cross in Rome. Well, likewise... If the disciples had that kind of change in their lives for knowing and receiving Christ, the risen Lord, so also you, we, us, so also we will have changed lives if Christ lives in us. So when others look at you, do they see the risen Lord? That's a good question. If you've been neglecting the means of grace, then what are the means of grace? I've enumerated them here many times. The Scripture, prayer, service, giving, fellowship, worship, the sacraments of baptism and holy communion. If you've been neglecting the means of grace. There are far more means of grace than that. That's just a start, friends. That's just a beginning. But if you've been neglecting the means of grace, and especially those that are established by Scripture, 
and set apart by Christ as channels of grace, if you've been neglecting them, no wonder it becomes dimmer and dimmer to see Jesus in others and dimmer and dimmer seeing Jesus in you. I know that when I stay away from the table of the Lord, when I miss my weekly Eucharist on Fridays due to work or whatever, when I fail to pray on a regular basis, not just because it's my job, but because I'm called to pray, because I'm called as a Christian to pray, when I fail to sing hymns and mean it, when I fail to fellowship with my sisters and brothers in Christ, when I fail to serve, when I fail to give, when I fail to partake of the means of grace, I know I find it harder and harder to see Jesus in others. And I know others find it harder and harder to see Jesus in me. My brothers and sisters, have you been neglecting the means of grace? If so, not me, Jesus is here to break the bread and share the cup, to break the bread, having blessed it, to break the bread and share the divine nourishment of Jesus' real presence with you. Come to the table of the Lord today. Receive the offered gift of the broken bread and the blessed cup. Receive the offered gift of the nourishment of Jesus' real presence. Receive the Word of God internally by experience and faith. And allow others to see Jesus in you as you look to see Jesus in them. My prayer for you is that you will be a witness of the love of God for all, that you will be a witness of the presence of Jesus for all. And then when others look at you, they will see the risen Lord just as assuredly as Cleopas and the other disciple looked and saw, as Jesus blessed and broke the bread, looked and saw their risen Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Christ our Lord invites to His table all who love Him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved You with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. 
for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy upon you, forgive all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You fashioned us from the elements of creation, breathed into us your breath of life, and appointed us your ambassadors upon earth. Far from accepting your love, we have turned our backs on you and with prideful arrogance have proclaimed our own will rather than your will. Despite our sin, you continue to strive with us, sending your word into the world to proclaim your love for all. And so with your children on earth and all the host of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. season of Lent, we were reminded that even though we have forsaken your love, your love has never forsaken us. Your grace is more amazing than our sin. Your peace is more comforting than our strength. Your spirit is more powerful than our fear. In the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you revealed your grace, your peace, and your strength to the world. His words taught us the way of life. His acts showed us the way of life. His death and resurrection opened the way of life for us all. And so today, we praise you for the victory over sin and death which we have in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave the cup to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. On the day you raised Jesus from the dead, he was recognized by his disciples in the breaking of the bread and in the power of your Holy Spirit. We, your church, have continued in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice 
in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by His blood. By your Spirit to make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at His heavenly banquet. By Christ and with Christ and in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. As our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If those who are assisting would come forward at this time. The disciples knew the Lord Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And when we give thanks over the cup, we know the forgiveness that comes to us from the cross and His shed blood, a sacrifice for us all. have been listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of Northgate United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2014 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at Northgate United Methodist Church, 3700 West Northgate Drive, Irving, Texas, 75062. This program was produced by Dr. Gregory Neal.